Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jeff Carvalho, and we're going to explore why Web3 is a big opportunity for brands. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Jeff Carvalho. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jeff Carvalho. If you don't know who Jeff is, he's a cultural anthropologist and Web3 strategist. He's the co-founder of High Snobiety, an agency powered by a publisher that helps brands improve reach with cultural pioneers. He also co-founded Barada, a consultancy that helps brands show up in the metaverse. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Michael. Happy to be here. Well, I'm super excited to have you here today. We're going to explore the big opportunity for brands and businesses in the world of Web3. Before we get started, I would love to hear your backstory. How the heck did you get involved with Web3? Start wherever you want to start. So for me, it definitely started well before Web3's you know moment that it's had over the last few years. I've been obsessed with media and certainly platforms since before the internet. You know, I'm a Gen Xer, so you know, for me, the internet showed up in my life around '93. But before that, I was you know I was into zine culture and in the mixtape culture, and it was a way of sharing information amongst people and certainly amongst folks that were interested in very niche things, things that were happening in the underground. What was great about, you know, Web 1, those first years of the internet, and certainly what came with Web 2, which is that social media and e-commerce moment, was that it really started to allow for people to connect together, especially folks that were like-minded around how they thought about product or how they thought about music or how they thought about fashion and art. So I have basically bounced between what I would like to say new technology and new platforms. So for me, it was, you know, Web 1 when the World Wide Web popped off and using Mozilla and Netscape, I was launching web pages. And then uh, really early streaming around 1997, 98, I started an online radio station that was called Transcast. And we were broadcasting music live over the internet. Really? Yeah. Really trying to prove that you could, you could use this pipe to, to send media, basically, you know, Prior to that, it was basically built on radio waves or or satellite. And now, you know, with cable being essentially in everybody's home by 1999, you know, the cable modem came into play, which offered very high speed connectivity. And if you remember prior to that, you know, we all remember that funky sound that our modems would give us over the phone line. It was great not to have to lock up a phone line in that sense. Yeah. 
I was really active with bulletin board systems back in the 90s. I don't know if you remember BBSs and stuff like that. So Of course. Yeah, so course. keep going. Yeah, so, you know, I think social media really changed everything. And social media to me is not just the platforms that I think we think about, which are Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and all of the forefathers prior to that, like Friendster and MySpace. And what was the product that Google had? Google had... Google Plus. Had a, a product. Google Plus. Google Plus as well. And very much understood blogs as being part of that social experiment that was popping off. So Heist Nobody actually was founded on blogspot.com. You can actually still go to heistnobody.blogspot.com and see some of the most early posts that we did. And then, of course, the transition over to our own.com. But quite frankly, if it wasn't for blogging as a platform and certainly Web2 as a, an idea of a social experiment where there was a two-way conversation, to be honest, I don't think Heist in the Body nor blogs like Gizmodo or Engadget, who were also very early users of of blogging, blogging platforms as a news as a news tool. We we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those for the power of that of that tool. It it really allowed for a framework to do storytelling and news sharing, but also made us realize very early on that the community of individuals and people that were into this subculture of what we were calling street fashion at that time which encompasses, you know, fashion, sneakers, art, uh, and anything around your, you know, your life. It allowed us to talk to like-minded individuals. And what it did is it turned a very small niche of, of fans and consumers into a larger pool, right? Now, for the first time, if you were into uh, a Nike Dunk, you could find somebody else in the world that was into it. And by the way, that's not just for the categories that we covered for High Snobiety. It's essentially for any sort of fandom or any sort of movement that was happening. The power of of Web 2 allowed for us to all come together and, and have that conversation. And, and that's really how I got to High Snob. So I went from being in the music industry, starting that online radio station in the early 90s, to actually being part of the first wave of podcasting, which happened around 2004, 2005, which eventually led to uh, myself joining High Snobiety as a co-founder in 2007. So High Snobiety, just tell us a little bit more about that. It sounds like it was a blog and it sounds like because of your background, there might've been more than a blog, but tell me a little bit more about like that journey and how that led ultimately to where you were trying to go. High Snobiety really started off with a very you know, almost no mandate. What it was is David Fisher, who founded Heist Nobody and myself, again, having this like-minded view of goods and products and services, beginning to collect the very best things that we found, not only on the internet, but also in the real world and putting together onto this webpage that we called Heist Nobody, which was very much a blog. And, you know, every day you could catch up on anywhere between 10 and 20 different stories that were covering 10 or 20 different products at that time. What made it really interesting is that the majority of what we covered was aspirational, meaning that the goods were not necessarily available on the internet. We may cover, say, a special sneaker release that was happening in Tokyo, but quite frankly, if you were not in Tokyo, there was no way to get that. So in many ways, High Snobody was this passion blog, this aspirational blog. And I remember very early on in finding and collecting stories to write about, we actually would go out there and physically buy international magazines, especially magazines that were coming out of Japan, to see what was happening on the ground because, you know, you couldn't find that stuff online, at least not yet. 
So I remember having a subscription at the Japanese uh, grocery store in Boston to every men's fashion and every men's sneaker magazine coming out of Tokyo. And once a month, you know, we would hustle, we would take it, we'd find a, a new pair of sneakers that was being released in Japan, and we'd scan that page and, you know, put it online. And, and it was, you know, it was very Wild West at that point. But, you know, of course, eventually the brands began to understand what we were trying to do with blogging certainly not just in the categories that we cover. I think, you know, technology as well, you know, Samsung's, Apple's, the Nokia's, they very much cater to to the uh, tech blogs themselves. But we were, you know, we were at the front lines of trying to fill in a consumer set with product that was not easy, number one, to find and not easy to purchase. And I think all of that changed, I would say, by 20, you know, by 2000 and in, in, in 10, 2011, when e-commerce really started to make a wave and more importantly, when luxury goods as well started to uh, be purchase purchasable online, it became safe for people to play in that space. And so High Somebody went from this passion blog to becoming a media brand, being an outlet. We were, you know, breaking exclusive stories. And, you know, the journey to Web3 came out of uh, a lot of what was happening during uh, COVID for us, where we were home spending a lot of time, certainly writing more than ever on high stability about aspirational goods and understanding that there was likely another way to transact that wouldn't just happen with with physical goods but there was a way to lock up physical goods with digital assets and as early as 2018 i was turned on to this by a company i was advising for called uh, portion you can find them at portion.io they're a marketplace that now we can call an nft marketplace and at the time they were essentially selling original comic book art graphic novel art and you would you know get this nft token but also the the piece of physical art that would arrive at your house and that token was both a reminder and an authenticator to what you had and it, it got me really thinking you know early on as to number one the rise of the gaming culture which continues today for me, it was a really big wake up for me when um, when um, uh, Amazon bought Twitch, if you remember that. And the economy of digital goods was really starting to come to the forefront, at least in my mind. And it, it just happened that NFTs became quite popular by around December of uh, 2019, January of 2020. And immediately it clicked for me. You know, we were going to enter a time where you know, we've already entered a time where there is a, a web native consumer out there, a consumer that was born post internet boom, right? 1993, 94. And a good majority of those consumers, and you know, they're, they're young adults, young kids at this point, their notion of the difference between what was happening in the real world and what was happening in their digital world was really becoming a fine line. And, you know, I, I take my son, for example, who plays, you know, he plays the trifecta of majors, you know, Minecraft, Roblox, and Fortnite, and he's constantly doing chores to earn digital currency within these platforms so that he can buy digital goods to outfit, you know, his players. And while not every single person in the world necessarily wants to game, I do believe that there's a tremendous number of consumers out there that believe that digital authenticity and digital goods are going to come to the forefront and become more more than ever part of your life. So give us a quick update on Barada and what, what you're doing there. Everything I've talked about in terms of digital goods and locking up authenticity, what we do with Barada is act as a partner to brands and more than ever C-suite 
who, number one, are trying to understand what's happening in the world of Web3. And when I say world of Web3, I'm definitely encompassing everything from NFTs to blockchain to tokens. And we like to talk about it as us bringing culture on chain. That's a term that Sam Ewing over at Coindesk coined himself. And the idea of bringing culture on chain is starting to take, you know, what we have learned about consumerism, about our consumers and the fans of the world of high snobiety and the world that we write about and beginning to apply Web3 technology to their world that makes sense. I think the hardest part about Web3 is that there's a, you know, people are a little bit fearful of it if they don't understand how they can use it, how it works out. And our job with Barada is to help brands educate their consumers as well to ensure when they onboard them into the world that they know what they're getting into, the consumer. Because I think most of the time today, there's almost an assumption made that the average person, you know, just understands what a crypto wallet is or what cryptocurrency is. And I, I think that's uh, that's 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 not being that's not being that's not a smart approach for brands today. Brands certainly need to educate their consumers as to what the tech is, um, and more than ever, how that tech is going to benefit those individuals. Well, that's a great transition into my next question because so many businesses and brands listening right now are like, okay, pretty skeptical perhaps about Web three because of the very thing you talked about about how most of their consumers don't have any clue what the heck. Uh, and NFT is, or what the heck the metaverse is, or what the heck crypto is. So what do you want to say to the skeptics that are listening right now as to why they might want to reconsider or take a closer look at the world of Web3? The majority of examples of what we have in Web3 today, outside of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others, are NFTs. And the way that NFTs are presented to the wider consumer is that there are pieces of art that are scarce and finite in object, meaning that they're locked up in the blockchain. There's only a certain number that are made. So wrapping your head around the fact that the blockchain can lock up scarcity or ownership, I think is, is quite difficult for people to, to get. So as a fundamental starting point, the blockchain, as people know or may not know, is simply a ledger that captures this transaction and it allows for provenance to exist. Today, the majority of that provenance is through NFT art. And, you know, we're certainly about to enter a crypto winter where prices of NFTs are falling. What I love to tell brands is, yes, that is one component of what you can do with blockchain is put out NFTs as art. And certainly there have been those that capitalize from it. But more than ever, you can take blockchain, you can take tokens and NFTs and begin to apply them as incentive programs, as membership programs that allow you to do things that you may not have been able to do in the past. So without comparing a, a crypto wallet or an NFT wallet to cookies, which we know have been sunsetted as being the way of tracking people, once you have an NFT inside of a wallet, you have a pretty good understanding of what else is inside of that consumer's wallet. So with that in mind, as we begin to mature with blockchain and certainly wallets being used by consumers, you know, a brand like Concepts, which is a brand that I advise for, they're a sneaker retailer, a premier sneaker retailer with locations in New York and Boston, Dubai, and, and I think in Shanghai as well in China. They're looking at the blockchain and NFTs as a way of building a membership program. So they released what they call the Proof of Concepts membership card. It was a, a free mint, meaning that you did not have to pay any cryptocurrency for it, you did have to pay 
for the gas fee, which is basically a transaction fee that the blockchain charges everyone to work on. But now with this proof of concept membership card, Concepts understands who's holding their NFT. They can look in that wallet and actually see what other projects they're holding. But more importantly, now they can use that NFT as a way to, in the old world, password protect. Today we would token gate, meaning that we can build access points, VIP points, for a consumer to come in, confirm that they're holding this membership card and give them access to a whole new world. In the case of Concepts, one simple example was that during NFT week in New York, those that were holding the Concepts Pass actually got access to a a shopping event in store in New York where you could buy sneakers early. And they actually held back some stock to make some exclusives available. So that's an example of an NFT or a token that may not necessarily be tied to a piece of art, but it's tied to a brand and an access point. And the best part about it is as they begin to drop product and they're using that NFT as the membership card in, a consumer who may not be interested in a product that's being released today can likely sell that membership card to somebody else who can then take part in it. And, you know, the the full cycle continues. And by the way, the best part about it is that every time that proof of concept membership card or NFT is sold, of that goes back to charities that Concepts support, such as the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in New York. So it's for the first time a tool or a process that allows for the consumer to get closer to Concepts, meaning that there are now members, they're holding these cards. They themselves can transact their membership card. And the whole time, they're just driving dollars into a charity wallet that helps support the causes they want. That whole circle of that full cycle is not something that could exist outside of blockchain today without a variety of other databases involved. But with a smart contract and more importantly, with the blockchain, all of this can be done and and done very quickly. Love that. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the fact that there's only X many digital crypto wallets, if you will, in the world right now. And in order for bigger brands to really ultimately reach all of their customers, there's going to need to be some sort of a event or activity that happens that incentivizes, if you will, the consumers of the world to actually get to the point where they can push a button and all of a sudden the whole world easily has access to these crypto wallets, right? Because you and I both know that if we were to randomly go to any mall in America, my guess is 1% of the people walking through that mall even hold any crypto, right? So what do you think needs to be the next moment, if you will, that will allow the masses, if you will, to come on board so that bigger brands can take advantage of more people participating? Michael, I think you nailed it. We certainly need more users. We need more adoption and we need more wallets, you know, and uh, how that comes. I firmly believe it is going to come through marketing and I think it's going to come through brands uh, getting on board. And I think in some cases, celebrity can also help. You know, I can imagine... You know, if Kanye West does an NFT release, trust me, we're going to onboard a tremendous number of wallets. But the truth is, Michael, that we do need another 100 million, if not a billion more wallets online. And it's going to be commonplace the same way that using maybe a smartphone is today or how we transact over text. You know, if you look at African countries, you know, banking is essentially done over mobile phones today. It's no longer necessarily tied to a bank account inside of a physical location. It's been a tremendous economic change for African nations that are adopting it because now there's this, you know, peer to peer way of transacting. We're going to need something similar to that. 
And it may not necessarily be dollars and cents, say the way that a, a PayPal or a Cash App work, which I firmly believe both of those guys have a massive uh, advantage and position in being able to help with crypto adoption. Companies like Zumo.money, I advise for them in the UK, they're a regulated neobank that can actually work with euros, pounds, and Bitcoin as an example. We just need more real world examples of it. And we haven't had that yet. You know, what we've seen a lot of is projects launching, brands showing up and using them as campaign and marketing moments, which are fantastic. It allows for brands to put their foot in the water a little bit, test it without getting, you know, too rinsed, as they say. But more more than ever, those kind of baby steps are going to help brands understand where and how they can use the Web3 tool set. But I agree with you, Michael, we need a lot more wallets online. You know, it's funny because I've been in the social marketing space since 2009, and I thought I was a little late back then, but obviously I wasn't in hindsight. One of the things I remember, and you may remember this as well, is a lot of Super Bowl ads back then would have Facebook logos and Twitter logos specifically on the actual ads, right? Like you, you'd see the advertisement and at the end, it would show a Twitter symbol and their Twitter ID or find us on Facebook, right? And I'm wondering whether or not, and in this year when we're recording this in 2022, we did see a lot of advertisements for crypto related things. I wonder if in 2023, we're going to see advertisements that somehow push that a little bit more because you think about the Super Bowl as the largest audience typically watching a single television show, you know, in the world. That's where I would imagine we're going to potentially see some breakouts or, you know, if we see like somebody like Mr. Beast do something to activate his crazy, ridiculous following. I don't know. I wonder whether it's going to be traditional media or whether it's going to be new online media that's going to move this in the next direction. But I do agree with you. I think it needs to be a little easier. You know, right now, everybody's got to figure out where to buy their crypto and then they got to figure out how to set. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not there yet. I mean, how long do you think it's going to take? I'm guessing it's going to take at least another three years. Really? Okay. So we're early then. We're very early. You know, the, it's getting easier to buy crypto. You know, in the United States, you're really pegged to whatever state you're in based on what you can do. For instance, New York has quite strong consumer laws in terms of what platforms you can and cannot purchase crypto on. Whereas, say, in Florida, it's a little bit more wide open. You know, I'm, I can use a tremendous number of tools, but, the, you know, but you nailed it. The hardest part is finding the gateway that's going to be super easy for somebody to understand that they're moving this currency into another form. And that's also a habit thing, right? That's also a mindset thing, you know, and this may come off as provocative and controversial, but this is where I think the US Fed has a great opportunity to support crypto and begin to set up regulation that allows for the consumer to be protected because the truth is, is it's unsecured. It's a little bit unregulated. That's a great thing in many ways, but I don't believe that the average person or average consumer you know, in the same way that you don't necessarily want to remember your bank credentials necessarily wants to remember, a, you know, a 12 or 24 word passphrase into their crypto wallet. So it's all got to get easier. And we have to definitely stop communicating in terminology that loses people. I mean, you say smart contract to my mom and, you know, she's like, she doesn't, she doesn't care, you know, smart contract, blockchain, dApps. Eventually, we're going to move away from these terms and it's all just going to be part of, you know, the digital layer that we live in. Well, for those gray hairs that are listening, like you and I, who've been around before there was the internet and saw how fast things changed when the internet originally started growing. And then all of a sudden when blogging got really big and fast and how that 
was a great disintermediary for you know like early movers really got huge advantages there and the same thing with youtube same thing with TikTok now the same thing with so many other uh, things that are going on so the good news is those of you that are listening that work for a business or a brand um, this is the time right now to begin exploring how these things work because it's not a question of if this is going to go mainstream i believe it's inevitable that it's going to go mainstream there's far too much money that has been invested in these technological platforms and when we take a look at what Facebook has done, right, Meta, just recently they announced that they're going to be rolling out NFTs for both Facebook and Instagram. So, you know, why would they change the name from Facebook to Meta if they didn't believe this was the future and invest billions in it? And you've got all these other companies. Microsoft just announced, which happens to own Roblox, that they're not allowing NFTs in their platform. Why would they do that, Jeff, if they didn't see it as a threat? So moral of the story is this is coming this is the opportunity for everyone right now to figure this out because there will be big advantages to the early movers. And if you've been listening to this podcast, we talked to a lot of other people that have been here early, and this is your opportunity because even though it's small, uh, it's a powerful community already. So what I want to do, you can riff on that a little bit, but I also want to know what should we do next? You know, if we want to get into this space, but feel free to say whatever you want to say. Meta or Facebook changing their name variety of different reasons why that happened but that you know that sets the groundwork in my mind i personally was very excited to hear that facebook was entering the space and while they'll do it their own way and we're unsure if it will be decentralized you know it's a big mantra that plays into the hearts of of crypto and nft maxis this idea that it's transparency you know if it is if it is meta that will bring 100 million wallets online then so be it because again, we need those entry points. And just like anything, you know, the hope here is that once they get into meta, they'll see everything else that's happening around them. But we we need we certainly need to start somewhere. And you're right, we are very early. And for those that have been, you know, that were here for web one and web two, we know what the ebbs and flows are of pure excitement and then, you know, concern and speculation. I, we certainly are in the middle of a bit of a crash right now, or at least a, a downward trend or a flat, a flat line, but that's okay because we've seen it before. And now it just allows for people to really focus in on the tech, the utility, and more importantly, it gives brands and marketers the opportunity to slow down a little bit. There's been quite some pressure over the last year and a half or two years to get involved, do something, step in. And that may not necessarily be the best the best way to do it. In, in, in many cases, I think right now is a time to sit back, look at what's happening in the landscape. More than ever, there's a tremendous number of very strong vendors and players out there that can help your brand come online. You don't have to do this alone anymore. And yeah, uh, please join us for the ride. So let's talk about Movember and Adidas and what they did, just so people have a little bit of inspiration and also Wagme United. Sure, I'll start with uh, you know Adidas. Adidas was one of the first big brands to embrace NFT culture. A lot of people have aligned the world of street fashion, again, this world of fashion, clothing, art, and sneakers as the first adopters of what's happening in crypto from a cultural lens. We've seen that. And Adidas came in by teaming up with Bored Apes. They released a collection. By holding that special board ape, you're actually allowed to redeem a variety of different goods, right? Wait, you said they had to hold a special board ape. Do you mean they had to hold the Adidas into the metaverse NFT? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, sorry. I should have been clear on that. Yes, you needed to hold that specific NFT. So by keeping that in your wallet, 
you may have heard of a term snapshot, but once you know where your NFT is, because the blockchain, of course, is a ledger, it allows you to go in and say, okay, you're a holder, you have access, go ahead and go to this special webpage where you can redeem it. Now, that's just one example of what Adidas has done. They've actually done a lot more these days, which I think is even more interesting, which leads to the idea of collaboration. And when we talk about Wagme United, Wagme United is indeed a football or soccer club that is run essentially by a DAO called Wagme United. And by purchasing a Wagme United NFT, you're allowed to partake in the voting and decision-making for that club at a specific level. Now, what's super cool about Wagme United and going back to Adidas is there are projects out in the world that may have a floor price that are a little higher than what I'm willing to pay today. And one of those that comes to mind is the Squiggles project. And what got me excited about Wagme United was the way that they were thinking about collaboratively working with other brands. So the actual jersey that the Wagme United NFT avatar, as well as the players will wear, has an Adidas logo. So they're they're basically collaborating on the wearable t-shirt that's on the NFT. And then Squiggles actually is the main mark that's on the front of that jersey. And that really is the first time I've seen real fun collaboration between a new project that has an IRL component, as well as traditional brands who have now stepped into the world of NFTs. And we're starting to see that collaborative effort through wearables. And we're going to see a lot more of it. So, Michael, when you when you mentioned earlier, you know, how do brands get involved? It may not necessarily be that you go ahead and build your own metaverse. It may actually make a lot of sense to you to go out there and talk to other projects that are in the works and see how you can get involved as an entry point. And I think certainly wearable garments, the idea that you'll put fashion or clothing onto your avatar and this, of course, comes from the gaming world, is 100% coming to the world of NFTs. Well, and let's talk about Nike as well. They acquired a brand, an NFT brand called Artifact, but it's not, it's spelled R-T-F-K-T. So you would never really know that that's pronounced Artifact. But do you know the story behind this? And and do you have any context and to give a little bit of wisdom on what they did here and why they did this? Sure. Artifact is a digital agency run out of France. I believe they're in Paris. And what they did better than anyone during the beginnings of the wave that we're in was develop digital sneakers. And they were fantastic. These guys are really strong as well in the AR world. And whatever they touch and, and develop just feels right. When you say digital sneakers, you should explain because they're not, they didn't, did they have an actual function or was it just a piece of art that was rotating? I mean, like how, how people understand this. So it was a, essentially a piece of art that rotated, but they also physically made some sneakers, by the way. So they, oh, okay. they went ahead and produced it. So I think from the Nike side, you know, Nike understood that this shop may well be the best sneaker designers that they have seen outside of their own people. And they went ahead and actually acquired the company. Now, what Artifact is being used for, it's not very publicly known. Nike tends to be very quiet about what happens internally. But what we can see so far is that, number one, they're helping them understand how to touch the digital, um, the digital product landscape, right? So we've seen the Artifact monolith box. And for those that are not familiar, just type in RTFTK, I think I spelled it right there. Look up monolith. And it was this box that at a certain date revealed itself to have a pair of sneakers inside. And the best part about that sneaker was that you could change the color of it. And as you change the color of it, you're actually, you know, and I love Michael, I love for you to explain it. You're essentially dropping a serum onto your shoe, 
or you're dropping a second NFT that allows you to change the color and actually change the attributes of that shoe. And, and that adds scarcity to it. So they're very good at it. But what we are seeing much more of from Artifact, I think is actually in the, the supply chain as well. You know, they're, they're very good designers and they're changing the way Nike thinks about building product. And I think it's actually going to shorten the timeline between development and actual release of goods. This is where it gets really interesting. The fact that you can own an NFT, let's say it's a Moonbird or it's like some other big, like a board ape, right? And you can take another NFT and you can essentially say that that NFT only works with this main NFT over here. And that NFT gets burned, which is essentially spent, used up, and it births something brand new, right? So this is where these collaborations with other brands can get really fascinating, right? Because you can create something completely new. And it seems like the biggest brands in the world of fashion, or at least, you know, in sneaker fashion, obviously are already into this space because Nike acquired Artifact in 2021. I don't know when Adidas did what they did, but, you know, this is a sign that these... Before that, before that, for sure. Yeah, and these big brands see something happening here, right? So what are the steps, Jeff? Like for people listening right now, if they want to get involved... And they know these are early days. Like what, what are some of the things they need to be thinking about? If you have not downloaded a crypto wallet or an NFT wallet, just go ahead and do that. And in my opinion, the two easiest ones today would be MetaMask, which is likely the most used NFT wallet, and then the Coinbase wallet product. So go into the Apple Store or the Android, Google Play Store rather, and just type in MetaMask or Coinbase wallet. Download that wallet get your credential and you're ready to go basically. And when you download that wallet, you're gonna get your personalized address. It's a long string of numbers, it's ugly, but it's your address and go out there and take part in a free mint, maybe buy some crypto and, and put some crypto on that wallet and just start transacting. Because I think once you do those transactions, the, the first step is understanding how those transactions work. And then once you have them in, Quite frankly, I think Twitter spaces and Clubhouse being some great points or places to go to hear a lot of uh, what's happening today. Certainly, Michael, you know, uh, a year and a half ago, Clubhouse was the center of the universe for NFTs. And, you know, you and I together with everyone else were learning on the fly through conversations with developers and people that were trying things. Being involved really does mean being involved within the world of NFTs and crypto. You, you got to get out there and get your hands dirty. And what I will say, too, is most companies out there, if you do not have a Web3 pilot program or a team in place working on it, I promise you there are likely at least four or five people in your organization who are interested in this. And that's always a great place to start. Internally, talk to your people and you will find early adopters who, quite frankly, can help you on the front lines as well. There's so many NFT projects out there and communities that are super active. What's your thoughts about seeking out an existing community and kind of partnering with them? Because so many of these projects are, for lack of better words, cash poor. They're not really, maybe they made their money off the initial mint and they're struggling to figure out ways to bring more value to their community. But if you can find the right community and partner with them, realizing that most of these projects have thousands, not tens of thousands of customers, right? Board Ape only has like thousands, like not 10,000, you know? So there's never going to be more than a couple thousand 
people inside of these communities, right? So, but I would imagine if you partner with the right community, these super loyal people could evangelize and create some cool partnerships. What are your thoughts on doing that as maybe a first order of things before you go out and try to launch your own project? Yeah, absolutely agree. You know, and let's talk about that a little bit. So 100%, if there's a community that you're interested in that has your eye, you should go and chat with them. You should go reach out to them. The easiest way tends to be through either the website, through Twitter, direct messages, or just go right into their Discord and get your hands dirty in there. Now, what I will say is that the average companies will respond to you, Michael, say, well, wait a second, Board Apes only has a thousand holders. That's not really scalable business. Well, it's more than a thousand, but it's less than 10,000 for sure. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Regardless, 10,000 is still a short order number for a large company. What you are seeing, and by the way, I think that those early adopters, in my opinion, should have quite some value for being early and you know putting their dollars or putting their crypto into those projects. But using the Board Ape example, I think what's quite interesting is that you start to see on a collaborative side or an acquisition side, the idea that you start to almost build rings, right? So if the center is the original Board Ape OG, you start to see these rings built around it with new collections that are part of that original collection that allow you to increase your audience size. So in the case of Bored Apes, you know, I think we started with the Serums and then the Mutant Apes came after that. You know, now they hold CryptoPunks, of course, and other projects. So the way that I believe we're going to see scale on projects is either secondary tertiary collections, second series, third series NFT drops, which not everyone should do because it does put a little pressure on the OG drop. And more than ever, we keep talking about a Michael collaboration, handshakes happening between projects so that both projects and communities can benefit with reciprocity uh, on what's possible and what they can do. Right. So in the future, I can imagine I'm a cool cat holder and I happen to be holding uh, an Azuki or an avatar. Maybe there's a handshake and we can all be friends and take part in that. That to me is also the future of building these communities and making them larger. Yeah, it's fascinating because I'm actually looking right now, there are 6,500 holders of the Board Ape Yacht Club and 13,000 Mutant Ape Club. I happen to be one of those 13,000. But if you think about the Board Ape Yacht Club's brand, it's way bigger than just that. I mean, like millions of people know who the Board Ape Yacht Club is because a lot of people have bought and sold these, you know, over the years since they've been out. And it's only been just about a year and a half, believe it or not, you know, which is kind of crazy. But I guess one of my other questions for you really is for the brands that are listening right now and are thinking, all right, well, it's a small community right now in the world of NFTs, but there's this much larger community of my existing customers. How do I get them actively onboarded into this space? Do you have any tips on that? Again, it's it's just that education and, and maybe release something, maybe release a free token. A couple examples of uh, traditional retail that I've done that. Boohoo, the brand, did an NFT mint. I think the first one was a free mint for their consumers. And it really, it, it, Michael, it, in my opinion, it's getting an NFT into your consumer's wallet. That's, that's what you got to do. You've got to get on the inside of that wallet uh, so that you can essentially have a point of access. And I, and I firmly believe that, you know, we're not going to use password protected websites in the future. We're going to be using token gated websites where I may have an NFT that is my identity for, I don't know, amazon.com. And another one could be for, for Best Buy. And maybe another one is for Starbucks. And while today those things are a little bit disconnected and scattered, you know, I've got a Starbucks app. I've got, maybe I have a Target app or a Walmart app. And then even the Apple wallet and the Android wallets, which are 
holding a variety of other cards, eventually I think it's it's all going to come on chain. And it may not necessarily be the same chain. When I say chain, I mean blockchain. But to the consumer, it's not going to matter. I think the easiest way to begin is to find something that connects you to your user and see if you can't begin to develop a digital version of that in some manner. Knowing full well that in the future, if you are an apparel retailer or even apparel brand, there's just no doubt in my mind that when I, in the future, if I go to a J. Crew webpage and I'm buying a white J. Crew t-shirt, it's going to come in small, medium, and large today. And in the future, it's going to come in small, medium, large, and then NFT. And then NFT will have thousands of different metaverses that I'll be able to use that t-shirt in, right? And I'm a Gen Xer, Michael, you, you and I are kind of in the same place. The idea that this is a reality really didn't happen before the gaming community came around. Certainly, I wasn't thinking about these things 20 years ago. Well, I just literally spent the weekend combing San Diego Comic-Con, which is one of the biggest oh, cool. cultural festivals, if you will, for the the world of nerds and comics and gamers and, and um, Marvel and Disney. And there was literally no presence for any crypto related anything. There was one little booth where they had the word crypto inside of it. And it turned out it wasn't even a crypto thing. It was just some brand that happened to have this thing. So the good news is you are not too late. Just give a couple of words of where you see this going, like put on your future cap, look out three years from now, where do you see this all heading? Incentive and community decision-making. Today, brands poll their users when they want a specific colorway. I actually listened to Mick Jagger, the Rolling Stones, talk about how he, you know, they put a vote out to their audiences to decide what ballads they're going to play at their shows. You know, that stuff is great. It can, it can be done using Web2 processes. But in the future, these kind of small decisions will be made through consensus. So think about a way that your consumer can get closer to you in the decision making. They don't need to necessarily be within your C-suite. Yet, you know, they, they don't have to be making very large decisions, but small decisions that let them feel like you're listening to them become important. And I think for traditional fashion brands, I think that's, you know, that's an area that that begins to become interesting. But yes, we're getting closer to community tools through Web3 that allow you to touch your strongest fans in ways that you may not necessarily be able to do on Instagram today. And there's going to be purpose for them joining you because you're going to allow them to have a voice in the decisions you make. Again, not necessarily big, gigantic decisions that impact your full business, but decisions that impact the consumer. And I think that's a that's certainly where I see three to five years from now. And Michael, we're all gonna have these NFT wallets. It's gonna be your passport. It's gonna be your passport to going to a concert. Today, I opened a Ticketmaster app. It scans me when I go to the concert. That's all going to become even more seamless, I think, with Web3 and token gating. I totally agree with you. And I, I envision a day where instead of entering an email address or a phone number, you're just going to connect your wallet or you're going to put in your .eth address, right? And then the brands will automatically drop you something when you walk in the store because they'll know it. You know, They'll know you've been in the store. They'll know you're a frequent customer. They're going to go ahead and drop you free gifts. And all this is going to be completely automated. And I'm very, very excited about that. Hey, Jeff, I'm really excited about where this is all going. Can you do me a favor and tell everybody where they can discover more about you and if there's a social platform you want them to connect with you on where they find you? Sure. I, I'm probably easiest to find on Twitter and Instagram, just Jeff Carvalho, my full name. If you're looking to contact me, send me a, a DM on on Twitter. I, I'd love to hear from you. And I'm, I'm most excited about people that are developing projects or have ideas 
that touch consumers, not just a piece of art for the sake of making art, but things that have real impact in people's lives. And certainly those models that have a charity component, uh, I'm quite excited about. So that's Jeff, C-A-R-V-A-L-H-O. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Michael, thank you so much. If you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C32. And if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us and let your friends know about this show if you don't mind. I would love that recommendation. I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may Web3 continue to change your world. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.